0: Welcome to the Healing Pain Podcast with Dr. Joe Tata Each week, we interview top experts in physical therapy, pain science, and integrative pain care. You'll learn the most up-to-date information for treating and reversing persistent pain. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Tata Hey there, friend. Welcome to this week's episode of the Healing Pain Podcast, where we are discussing long term care behavior and activity management strategies. My guest this week is Hannah Johnson. Hannah is a clinician as well as an educator. She earned her DPT in 2013, as well as a geriatric clinical specialist certification in 2016. In 2018, she published her book, Psychosocial Elements of Physical Therapy, in an effort to fill the gap in mental health education for physical therapists and physical therapy students. Her current PhD research explores how to improve interdisciplinary quality care in nursing homes. On today's episode, you'll learn about the biggest obstacles in physical therapist management of complex patients, how residents of long-term care facilities can keep up their physical activity, as well as evidence-based supported practical strategies for managing behaviors such as agitation, aggression, refusal of care, and inappropriateness that are often associated with various medical, psychological, and social conditions. I highly recommend you check out Hannah's book, Psychosocial Elements of Physical Therapy, which is published in 2018. It's an excellent resource for physical therapists and other health professionals. Okay, without further ado, let's begin and let's meet Hannah. Hey there, Hannah. Thanks for joining me this week on the podcast.
1: Hey, Joe. Good to be here.
0: I came across a book of yours a number of months ago called Psychosocial Elements of Physical Therapy. It's full of great information with regard to psychosocial care and how it relates to physical therapy. I know you're doing some great work, both in your clinical practice as well as in research. I think a good place for us to start is discuss what your current line of research is and how that's kind of pulling you or drawing you in one direction.
1: Sure thing. So to explain a little bit more about my clinical background, I've worked in long-term care since I graduated with my doctorate in physical therapy a number of years ago, and the population with mental health, psychiatric issues, behavior issues that always attracted me. So that, after a couple years of clinical practice, prompted me to research the book and write it more to inform myself and other clinicians who may not necessarily have a lot of training in mental health disorders. and behavior management and from there I started my PhD about three four years ago at Northern Illinois University. Currently my line of research with that is centered in skilled nursing facilities and focused more on quality improvement, nursing documentation, interdisciplinary care. So the PhD program itself spans a number of disciplines so my focus is on how the quality improvement of nursing documentation can impact the physical activity for residents with mental illness and those without. Mm -hmm. And that I hope to continue past the dissertation.
0: That's interesting. So you're looking at how nursing documentation can impact obviously physical outcomes that we see in our patients. Mm -hmm. And you're specifically looking at the context of long-term care in nursing homes. Correct. Interesting. Tell us how, nursing documentation, something we don't necessarily think about as a physical therapist can have an impact on physical therapy outcomes. What have you discovered so far?
1: Well, so far, one key component of physical activity in nursing homes comes when patients are not on a therapy caseload at all. So for a long-term say you will have what's called a functional maintenance program or a restorative nursing program. And both of those are just simple, like physical activity, activity of daily living programs that are daily implemented by the nursing staff. And the documentation of those programs affects not only the reimbursement for the facility as a whole, but also the resident's quality of life. Because when we screen those residents in therapy every quarter or as needed, then we can tell with accurate documentation whether or not there has been a true decline. So we can determine whether or not to pick them up for therapy.
0: So that's one obstacle for, I guess, patient outcomes in a long-term care or a nursing facility. What other obstacles do you see are kind of the biggest obstacles in the management of the complex patients that we see as far as physical therapy goes?
1: Well, the main one that prompted me to write the book in the first place was the lack of training that a lot of physical therapists and PT assistants have in specific behavior management of people with specific severe mental illness such as schizophrenia, say you're gonna have to have unique behavior management strategies with dementia, various types of dementia, depression, anxiety. So I was trying to synthesize the research and find out number one, how can we manage the behaviors? And number two, what are the specific modes of physical activity that we can promote to these patients so that it will impact not only their physical but also their mental health?
0: Interesting. so they seem like two different topics. You're talking about behavior and then physical activity. But of course, we know within a biopsychosocial model, they're intimately related, those two. It is (laughs) interesting as physical therapists, of course, there are things like a geriatric certified specialist who might come across more topics like this. But I guess in our entry-level graduate training, we don't really go too depth into that area.
1: Yeah, I would say that's true. We had more just the pathophysiology of disease But then as far as specific behavior management, that was all learned in the clinic, as well as by review of the literature.
0: So let's talk about physical activity and physical health first. How can a resident of, let's say, a skilled nursing facility or a long-term care facility, how can they keep up their physical ability over the course of their care and their life there?
1: Well, the amount of support that they will need for keeping up that physical activity depends on partly their cognitive status, as well as... The family or social support that they have. So for a resident say with pretty good intact cognition who's with it but isn't necessarily physically fit and then the physical therapist or occupational therapist could prescribe an exercise program for them to do every day. They could recommend they participate in activities department programming. So for example chair exercises things of that nature. And for a resident with more impaired cognition, then they'll need more support from the nursing staff as well as potentially more frequent therapy episodes. So that can range all the way down to, say, passive range of motion during CARES. For a resident with really advanced dementia, and that is more to protect just the joint integrity, skin integrity, so they can be positioned safely.
0: So I guess the frequency is kind of one big issue that you've already mentioned. So how often Mm -hmm. someone is, let's say, being seen by or attending physical therapy, going to the physical therapy gym within Mm -hmm. the facility. So when someone is admitted to a long-term care facility, what's the typical frequency and duration that they're receiving? Or is that diagnosis specific for them?
1: It's a combination of diagnosis and the level of carryover that we anticipate them to have. So for residents with worse cognition, we will usually see them at a higher frequency of five to seven times per week, because we know that they will not be carrying over the programs themselves. And for a resident with more intact cognition, who's going to be a long-term resident, then we'll see them maybe two to three times per week. Basically, if we know there's gonna be better carryover by the residents or by staff, we'll see them less often in therapy.
0: And then are those patients ultimately moving toward a a discharge status or are they stepping them down at that point in some way? And does that care continue after that step down or we hope that care continues?
1: I would say, yes, it does depend on whether the resident has a discharge plan. So we can discharge them eventually to, at the most restrictive level, they can stay in, for example, a dementia care unit or a memory care unit, and that could be lifelong all the way back to... group home, assisted living, independent apartment with family support, caregiver support, Mm -hmm. and anything in between. So I've seen residents stay anywhere from several days to the rest of their lifetime.
0: And then let's kind of shift gears a little bit and let's talk about the behavioral approaches that you mentioned. I know you talk a lot about this in your book and people should check out your book. Mm -hmm. It's called Psychosocial Elements of Physical Therapy. You can download that and check it out. exclusively by Hannah, which I think is a pretty big feat. After having written a book myself, and I looked at Hannah's book, it's a really great feat of professionalism to look at the psychosocial elements on lots of different levels with regard to physical therapy. Let's talk about some of those like, behaviors. So people who are, let's say they have Alzheimer's or dementias at times they can be agitated and they can act aggressively toward other residents or toward other professionals. They can refuse being treated, things like that oftentimes happen in the facility. How can we look at some kind of strategies to help overcome those barriers?
1: I'll start with more evidence-based strategies that I found in the literature. For agitation especially and aggressiveness, it's very important to learn to read those early signs that a person might be on the edge or just about to, to go into a more behavioral episode. So we might notice, okay, are they fidgeting more? Do they seem to need to use the toilet? Do they just need to move? Are they hungry? Are they thirsty? And very often it's those bodily needs or the social interaction needs that are not being met necessarily because in long-term care there is a lot of isolation and not a lot of interaction, not a lot of dialogue, especially in our case right now when the facility is essentially in lockdown and all the residents are staying in their rooms all day. So Just learning to read those early signs and provide the socialization or the basic personal care needs as well. It kind of depends on the person but the personality of the patient and the personality of the therapist. Sometimes we may need to do a little bit of adjustment. So how I usually try to come across to a person with dementia initially, I try to be very calm, very self-aware because they pick up on our emotions very rapidly. And that's pretty characteristic across all kinds of mental illness. So getting myself in the proper mood, calming myself, and then being able to perhaps redirect the person to an enjoyable activity, or reorient the individual if they're confused. If they think it's midnight and they're 39 years old, then well, of course not. They, they wouldn't work with you in therapy because you're waking them up at midnight. So open the window offer them some water, reorient them to time, things like that.
0: Really good, simple techniques there that I think rarely are probably taught in school. Sometimes people pick it up kind of on the job training though, when they work with mm-hmm. professionals, whether physical therapists or other health professionals that have more experience to them, but no one's really kind of packaged it together for professionals to rely on and to
1: learn from. Yes. That was one of my main goals with the book in order to have a go to resource for the clinician as well as for the student.
0: What other tips and strategies do you have with regard to the behavioral management of elders in, in care?
1: Several things. First of all, validation of their experiences. I always try to recognize that they are human beings, human individuals with a past. And sometimes that past may not be clear to them, but I try to dig a little bit, become involved in their lives a little bit the relationship aspect of long-term care between clinicians and patients, it's very real. We do develop solid friendships with these individuals. As far as other behavioral management strategies, we do also try to provide a little bit of structure in the session, that's another thing, but not coming off as bossy and heavy-handed because I know in their situation, I would not wanna be bossed around and I would wanna have the most amount of choice that I can possibly have whether it's choosing if they don't want to get dressed, you don't offer them the choice between getting dressed and not getting dressed. You offer blue top versus red top. That preserves their autonomy and their choice, but it also accomplishes your therapeutic outcomes.
0: That's nice. And that's so simple for a practitioner to do, right? Mm -hmm. I love what you said about as professionals, we have a long standing relationship with these clients because they're in long term Mm -hmm. care for a long period of time. And the essence, of transition become from being our clients in some ways we have very close friendly relationships with these people oftentimes we yes. see them more than they see their own family toward the later phases of life how important is it for a professional to cultivate that aspect of the relationship but also learn certain boundaries within the professional relationship
1: i would say both of those aspects are equally important Again, speaking from experience, as a newer professional, I would involve myself so much in their care that it would get burnt out every couple of months to a year, then I'd have to back off for a week or whatever, and then come back with that renewed sense of balance. But yeah, there is a chapter also in the book about professional boundaries and self-care, being on the lookout for compassion fatigue, for example, and then just learning what do I feel like when I'm stressed? What do I look like when I'm stressed? So then you can more early recognize those indicators and back off a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, more and more mindfulness and mm-hmm. other approaches like acceptance and commitment therapy are being brought into physical therapy practice to help us manage burnout. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, compassion fatigue and some of the cognitive overload that we have as professionals. Do you use those currently, any of those techniques to use currently to kind of self-manage your own stress, burnout, anxiety, things that all of us have to manage as health professionals.
1: Definitely. Yeah. During the pandemic as well, particularly, I've been using just more deep breathing, mindfulness, physically separating myself from the setting as best I can, and then engaging in more fun self-care activities. For example, music, reading, outdoor time.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're recording this on May 18th. My podcast or these episodes you roll out a couple weeks later. So we're still in the midst of the COVID pandemic. How has that changed your practice setting? Tell me about that first, because many long-term care settings have been hit hard by the COVID virus.
1: Sure. Um, well, my facility is approximately 200 beds. So our therapy census is usually between 30 and 40. So early on in the pandemic, one major thing that changed was that we switched from seeing patients in the gym, which allowed a lot of social interaction between therapists, patients, small groups. We now see them one-on-one in their rooms. And that's been difficult with the, the creativity aspect. There's only so much you can do in the room versus in the gym. You can't do groups. You can't do concurrent. So with our Medicare patients, that's been difficult at times as well. Other changes would probably be more the, just the constant awareness of the pandemic because we are always using PPE. For example, we have to wear a gown all day during patient treatments. We have to wear a mask during all patient treatments. And usually since our testing is not complete, oftentimes I will be wearing an N95 for every single patient. So we're sweatier, a little more impatient, possibly less creative, but yeah, we are adapting To those as best we can.
0: And have you noticed the the lack of group therapy and the social interaction, has it impacted the therapy in one way or another?
1: It has. We have seen an increased rate of falls as well as unintentional weight loss in a lot of the residents. So those are two major things and everything just takes a little bit longer. So then we are more tired at the end of a day where we're seeing the same amount of patients or the same number of patients, I should say, but we're still having to wrestle with the computers, come back and document and all these additional little things in our workday.
0: And with regard to the weight loss and the increased falls you're seeing, what is the cause of that potentially?
1: I would say decreased activity among the residents. If the staff aren't able to necessarily round on them and check on them as often performing their restorative programs due to, increased patient care elsewhere or PPE donning and doffing, like all those extra time things, plus possibly depression in some of the residents. It's
0: interesting. I mean, for many patients, just transporting from their room to the therapy gym can be, actually be part of their therapy session because they have to physically transport themselves from the bed to the chair. Usually someone has to get them down there. It's really all part of that integrative approach that you do find in a long-term care facility. And are they, are people a little bit more expressive about what they're experiencing or as a professional, are you helping them cope and express with what they're, what they may or may not be in touch with at the moment?
1: I would say I've gotten more conscious of my ability and need to help them express themselves. I haven't really compared pre and post with the residents that to find out like whether they're expressing themselves more or less.
0: It must be really interesting from your perspective, because you wrote a book on the psychosocial elements of physical therapy, and now you find yourself in a pandemic where people are scared and and worrisome and fearful about contracting a virus. They have anxiety, they have depression, they have longer bouts of loneliness because they can't see other residents or family and friends. When you look back on writing your book now, do you see a whole new reason for creation and cultivation of that book?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I find myself using concepts from it multiple times per day.
0: What would be your aim for the book as far as physical therapists? So there are many physical therapists that are interested in the psychosocial elements of care. Why would they choose, let's say, that book? What is it about your book that kind of fills a gap in our education and training that currently doesn't exist?
1: I would say compared to other texts that address the psychosocial aspects Mine focuses more on number one, mental health conditions, and number two, the geriatric population. There is coverage of pediatrics and adults as well for comprehensiveness, but my main focus is on older adults who may have accumulated like, more conditions and so are dealing with more psychosocial aspects. So any therapist who's working in like, adult, outpatient, long-term care, like any post-acute setting or even acute care, I would say it would be useful for.
0: Yeah, definitely very useful for acute care, very useful for long-term care, skilled nursing facility, assisted living facilities. I think that's where this book really shines. And maybe not only for physical therapists, possibly other licensed health professionals as well who may lack or need some additional training in that area. So will you parlay that book into part of your PhD studies or does it fit in there somehow?
1: It fits as far as the topic. I did ask at the start of the PhD and they were unable to let me count that toward the degree, but it has definitely spurred a lot of my research ideas as well as just knowledge about the populations.
0: And tell us about where you are now. Like, where's your PhD heading? Because I know you're kind of in the later stages and you're moving toward the end of it. Catch us up to where you are.
1: Sure. I am going to be starting my dissertation proposal phase in a couple of weeks. And then hopefully once I finish that, it'll be more focused, as I said earlier, on nursing documentation and its relation to physical activity in persons living in nursing homes. And I do see myself going with that research thread more in the veins of quality improvement and interdisciplinary communication, because that's kind of spotty across nursing homes across the U.S.
0: Well, please keep us up to date on your PhD work. And of course, when you publish, let us know. We'll have you back on so you can share the data and some of the outcomes with us. Of course, everyone can check out The Psychosocial Elements of Physical Therapy, the book that is written by Hannah Johansson. Where can they find that book if they want to purchase it?
1: The main site, it will be the Slack Incorporated website, which is helio.com. And otherwise, you can find it on Amazon or textbooks.com, any of those booksellers.
0: Great. And if someone wants to contact you and follow your work, how can they follow you?
1: They can contact me on LinkedIn. I'm under Hannah Johnson, PT, DPT, GCS for the geriatric clinical specialist certification and otherwise there is a feedback form on the publisher's website that will get forwarded to me if they submit a message about that
0: excellent so we'll include the both those links will of course include the link linkedin page so you can access her there and you can see the great work she's doing of course you can reach out to her there again make sure to check out her book psychosocial elements of physical therapy and of course make sure to share this episode with your friends and family and colleagues on facebook twitter linkedin or wherever people are interested in Long term care behavior and activity management strategies for physical therapy and, of course, people living with pain. I'm Dr. Joe Tata, and we'll see you next week.
1: Thank you for listening
0: to the Healing Pain Podcast with Dr. Joe Tata. To subscribe to the podcast and learn more, visit Integrative Pain That's Integrative Pain Science Institute.com. Sign up to receive weekly updates, leave a review on iTunes and share this episode with your friends.